So we're reading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. <laughs> thanks, Sarah. Uh, if you have your Bibles there, keep your hand in them. Let's pray and we'll get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that this morning we can meet together, that we can encourage one another. We thank you for the truth that you don't save us as individuals, but you save us as a people. We pray that this morning as we look at your word, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, and that you would move in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what thoughts, I want to know, I'm going to put a statement on the screen, and I want to know what thoughts run through your head when you see this statement. What feelings do you get when you see this statement, I can live however I want to live. I can live however I want to live. What are the ideas, the thoughts that go through your head? Maybe this morning this is your life motto, and you're wondering how I got into your brain to figure out your life motto. Maybe you see this play out in your kids or people around you. This is a phrase, though, an idea that is actually around us in our society, and maybe even in us. It's interesting, I was reading an article this week, and the article was telling us, or telling me as I was reading it, the most individualistic countries in the world. Now, coming in at number one was, of course, America, right? Of course they are. The place where dreams are made. I mean, I remember watching a video of Americans and they said, do you know what Australia is? And they said, no. Right? That, that's because America is the number one most individual place in the world. But before we mock them, well, I mean, it's already a little bit late for that, but before we laugh too hard at America, coming in at number two and only just was, of course, Australia. Australia. So, so when we think about it, we are nearly the most individualistic country in the world. We're very nearly the most individualistic society and country in the world. Now, as we look around, we see examples and consequences of the fact that we are so individualistic, right? From the fact that, you know, we move out of home when we're early and we hope that we never return to the fact that of just how we think about our money or our time or our possessions or our sexuality or our political choices, the consequences to being the most individualistic country in the world, we, we see it everywhere. But one of them, maybe even the biggest consequence of this, is that this idea here that I can live my life however I want to live is an idea that is just rampant in our society. It bleeds into our society where this is, maybe we wouldn't say it explicitly that this is our life motto, but this is very close to what we start to think. It's not a foreign idea to us. Now again, maybe this morning you'd actually fight against that and go, you know what, that, that's not what I think about my life. I realize that I can't do that. Maybe you do. But regardless of that, the consequence of us being a church in one of the most individualistic societies in the world 
is that this idea of I can live my life however, however I want to live just isn't a foreign idea. Now, now, it's interesting as we get into the Bible this morning, what we're going to see is that Paul's going to speak kind of into this space. He's going to speak into this space. And, and Paul's not writing to a people who live in an individualistic society. I mean, not at all was the, the world back in the day like that. But people still were thinking about how they lived their lives and still wanted to live their lives however they wanted to live. And so the question we want to ask this morning is, can we do this? Can we live however we want to live? I mean, if I'm the only one who makes my decisions, if I'm the main person it affects, can I do whatever I want to do? Well, as we get into the Bible this morning, what we're going to see is that Paul is actually going to give us three reasons why we can't. Three reasons why we can't live however we want to live. And so I invite you to join with me as we read through these. And as we see these, Paul continues. He picks it up in verse 15. He says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Can we live our lives however we want to live? Well, the first reason Paul tells us that we can't is because the days are evil. Now, now I get that our tendency in Australia, not just because we're an individualistic society, but because we're a materialistic society, our tendency is to actually be unfamiliar with what Paul's speaking about here. Right? We think and we feel and we're pre- it's pressed in on us from our world that our greatest struggles are what's in front of us. Right? Like Our greatest struggles in our lives are our jobs, are our kids, are our studies, are our exams. Our greatest struggles are our mortgage. Our greatest struggles are what's in front of us. That's what we are pressed in on us. The world tells us, the media tells us our biggest struggles are what we look like. But Paul is aware here that there's more going on. Paul is aware here that the days are not just flesh and blood, that what's in front of us isn't all that we see. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul's going to say a little bit later on that we do have a struggle, and the struggle is real, but the struggle isn't just against flesh and blood. Actually, it's against evil. It's against evil. It's against Satan and demons and people that want to pull us down. And what this means here is that we need to be aware then that we can't do whatever we want to do because our decisions decisions hold some weight, right? So so when we think about it, right, the good things God has called us to do, whether it's, you know, the things we've seen in Ephesians, things like meeting together, encouraging one another, loving each other, the good things God has called us to do. If we think about these things, if we avoid meeting together, if we avoid reading God's word and praying to God, if we avoid loving people, the consequences to that aren't simply just physical consequences, right? Then They're not just physical consequences. If you avoid coming to church in the morning on a Sunday morning, The consequences to that aren't simply that you get to have a good sleep in. No, the consequences are bigger than that. And at the same time, if we do the bad things that God's called us not to do, which again, we've seen it in Ephesians, haven't we? I mean, things like getting angry when we sin, or or being angry and then sinning, things like being bitter, things like not forgiving one another, things like when when we uh, let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, when we give ourselves over to sexual immorality, When we open our computers, we think about someone else who's not our husband or our wife and we lust over them, the consequences of that aren't just physical consequences, right? Our battle is not just against flesh and blood. The days are evil, Paul says. 
When we do those things, when we don't do the things that God calls us to, and we do the things that God has directly called us not to, in those moments we're actually giving ourselves over to evil. Paul phrases it like this. He says, if you go to bed and, and the anger is still there, you're actually giving the devil a foothold to victory. When we do the things that God's called us not to, we're actually giving ourselves over to evil. We're giving ourselves over to temptation. And, and, and we live in a world where Satan exists and demons exist and they want to pull us away from God. And on top of that, we have hearts that want to give in to that stuff. And so Paul says, no, be aware here. The days are evil. Our struggle is not just flesh and blood. The days are evil. Right? So when we think about it, can we do whatever we want to do? Well, the first reason Paul says you can't is because there is a weightiness to your decisions. There's a weightiness here. The days are evil, he says. Now, I feel like that's a good enough reason in and of itself. But Paul goes on. He continues and he gives us two more. So the first reason is the days are evil. The second, we see that in those same verses there. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Now, what Paul's saying here when he says make the most of every opportunity, be wise, he's saying more than what our year 12s got this week. They had their final exams this week. A few of them got through that unscathed. We're glad that they did. Their teachers told them uh, this week, be smart in how you spend your time. You know, if you study, you're going to do well in your exams, make the best use of time, it's going to end well for you. What Paul's getting at here, though, is a little bit more loaded than just, you know, study for your exams. And we kind of see this throughout the Bible with this idea of wisdom. So, so wisdom throughout the Bible, uh, in fact, we see it clearly kind of in Proverbs, Wisdom, we see it, it's the beginning, or the beginning of wisdom, we see, is, is fearing God. Now, now, I get that fearing God is a weird, weird idea, right? It's a little bit strange to think about, what does it mean for me to fear God? I, I remember growing up, and a friend of mine told me that fearing God is kind of like the fear that I had for my dad. Now, I lived in, you know, a good home, and, you know, I can't really remember getting in trouble too much from dad. Um, I did get in trouble. Um, but uh, the fear there was, you know, dad's the authority. So when you do good, it's going to go well for you. Like love is there, etc. But when you do bad, when your room's messy or whatever else, it's going to end badly for you because dad's the authority. And, and, and my mate was trying to tell me that's what fearing God looks like. The issue with that, though, is as we read through the Bible, what we see is that when people see God, it's actually just on a whole different level to that. One place is in Isaiah, uh, when, when Isaiah sees God, and his reaction is he just falls straight on his face, flat on his face. He sees God, and the words that come out of his mouth are, I'm not worthy. That, that's a level of fear that I never had in my household growing up. Right, this recognition that God is just on a completely different level to us. That, that he's God, he's the creator, he's the authority, he's the power, he's God, he's in a different category to us. And so when Isaiah sees God, he falls to his face. That's kind of more the picture of what fearing God looks like. Then we see kind of to add to this, in Psalm 90, Moses says of God, he says, man, if only we knew your power... And then after that, he says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what Moses is doing there is touching in on this idea that when we start to recognize who God is, 
we start to fear God and have wisdom there, then we start to recognize too that I'm not God and that, that my time's actually limited. My time's actually limited. And this is the second reason. This is the second thing that Paul's getting on here. The reason we can't live our lives however we want to live is because our time is limited. When we start to grasp that God is God, He's infinite, His time is unlimited. We start to fear God and recognize that God is in control of everything. What we start to recognize too is that my life is not. My life is not unlimited and I'm not in control, which means that my time is limited, that I only have a certain amount of breaths left in my life. I only have a certain amount of minutes and hours and days left. And so Paul says, right, don't be unwise. Don't be foolish in this space. Be wise and make the best use of time. In fact, the, the language he uses, the words, literally this idea of redeem the time. Right? It's the, the idea that the, for the rest of your life, you have a decision. You can use your time for good or for evil. So redeem your time. Now again, I recognize our tendency here. We say things like, I will live for God and I will serve God, but I'm going to do it later. Right? I'll do it later. I'll do it when the kids are out of home. I'll do it when the kids are older. And it's just, I mean, I'll, I'll live for God, but right at the moment, it's just a little bit too stressful. I'll live for God, but right now, I, I can't do it. I don't have the time to do it right now. We'll say things like, I'll live for God, but I'll do it when the mortgage has been paid off. I'll live for God, but I'm going to do it later. But wisdom actually says, no, our time's limited here. Our time is limited. We don't have an unlimited amount of breaths and minutes and hours left in our lives. So Paul says, redeem them. Now, I love when you get examples of what it looks like to redeem your time. Uh, this, in the last couple of weeks, uh, heard from a couple that just got back from Congo on a mission trip. And they just got back and that, you know, if you know Congo, it's war-torn. It's a horrible place to be in. Uh, in fact, the political stuff that's going on now, it's, it's a dangerous place to be in. This couple got back just, you know, being on a mission trip. Now, I don't know what your picture of this couple is, but it's actually Bindi's parents. <laughs> Bindi, who does our kids' church here, her parents just got back from Congo. Her mum's 64 and her dad is 67, and yet they're going to one of the most dangerous places in the world to help people see Jesus. Now, our world is saying to them, no, kick back, right? Retire. Spend time with your grandkids. Spend time with your kids. Our world says the idea of going to Congo is crazy. In fact, I'm pretty sure even Bindi says it's crazy. But this is what it looks like to redeem your time. This is what it looks like for someone who gets that they don't have an unlimited amount of breaths left and they want to use their time for God's glory, for the good of God's people. They want to use their time. They want to redeem that. Now, the question for us is, will we redeem our time? Will we use the time that we have left? Because no matter how old we are, we don't have unlimited amount of breaths left. We have a limited amount of breaths and minutes and hours and days left in our lives. Will we start to redeem that time or will we waste that time? Because we can use it for good, for God, or for evil. Right? And so again, you can see this space that Paul's speaking into. Be careful how you live. You, you don't have an unlimited amount of time left. 
You can't just do whatever you want because your time is limited. So, so the first reason is because the days are evil. The second is because our time is limited. And the third reason we see from verse 17 onwards is because God's will is being done in this world. Verse 17, he says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The third reason we can't do whatever we want to do is because God has a plan for our lives. God's will is being done in our world and in our lives. Now, I understand that this idea of God's will is a bit of a tricky idea to handle. Um, I remember wrestling with this growing up. Um, but, but it's this kind of thing, like, who doesn't want to know? If God could tell us exactly what to do this week, who wouldn't want to know that? Right? Like, if God could tell us what, what are we going to eat Monday and then, you know, get to throughout the week, if God could do that, wouldn't that be great? I remember wanting this. Like, like, kind of unhealthily wanting this as a kid, where you just want to know, what, man, I want to know what God's will is in the small things and in the big things. I think part of my unhealthy longing for this was uh, one of the incidents that happened with my mates in grade nine. Uh, so a friend of mine, one of my best mates, I remember this like it's yesterday, and I, I honestly hope I don't forget, because I think it's, it's pretty funny, but um, my best mate in grade nine was dating this girl, and... Um, They'd been dating for about six months uh, in that space of like, you know, it's getting kind of serious, as serious as a grade nine relationship can get. And uh, out of the blue, she said to him, "Um, I've got to break up with you. It's God's will that we're no longer together. Now, obviously, that is pure gold to pay out on your mate with, right? That's just... That's, you know, we gave him heaps for that. But we were skeptical on this girl. Like, is, is God really speaking to her in this, in this space? Our skepticism grew when she broke up with this, our friend, and then started dating another guy in the same day, right? That's when, you know, you start to realize, man, God's got a crazy plan for this, you know, girl's life. <laughs> our skepticism grew, though, right? It grew, and then ultimately, like, we called it off when she broke up with the new guy and got back with our mate. That was like a week later. Um, that was when we said, all right, you know. And, and obviously, like we were saying to our mate, are you sure you want to get back with her? Right? What if God doesn't want you to be with this girl? What if God spoke to you? You're going against God's will here. Anyway, the story ends. They actually got married, my mate and this girl. They got through that. The counseling deal dealt with that, I'm sure. But, but see, you know, despite situations like this, we want to know God's will, right? I mean, who doesn't want to know? Who doesn't want to know who we should date and marry and what, where we should work and what street we should live in? If God could tell us that, that would be amazing. If He could just make that known to us. But unfortunately, throughout the Bible, God doesn't do that. There are some things that God doesn't make clear to us. And he doesn't make it clear to us who we should date when we're in grade nine. I mean, he might do that. I'm sure he could. He gives us wisdom on that. You know, they they should have the same kind of beliefs as us and be on the same page as us. But God doesn't give us their names. God's not going to give us the house that we should live or the suburb that we should live. I mean, I'm sure he could do that. But God hasn't revealed that to us in clarity, but he has revealed something else to us in clarity. 
And that is what God's will is for the world and what God's will is for our lives wherever we are. And we've actually seen that already throughout Ephesians. See, in chapter 1, verse 5, 9, and 11, we see Paul uses the words, this is God's will, and God's will is, we see it in chapter 1, that God would save people who he planned to save before time. God's will is that he would bring people near to himself, that he would give people a hope that previously had no hope. Then we see in chapter 2 that God's will is that he would make dead people and he would make them alive. Make people who are dead in their sins, who have no hope, who, who weren't looking to God and were trying to find their meaning in this world. And yet he made them, he gave them something greater to hold on to. Then God's will in chapter 2, as we see it moves on, God's will is that he would unite this people. He would bring this people in. He would, he would, he would uh, get rid of the dividing wall of hostility. By his blood on the cross, he would bring people in who aren't united by their race or by what they're able to do, but united by the blood of Christ. And then in 3 and 4 of Ephesians, we see that God's will is that God's people would start to live God's way. That's, what, that's the clarity that God's given us for our lives God's will is that he would save a people and change a people and make a people who would live God's way. It's God's will for us that he would save a people and change a people to make a people live God's way. And God invites us to be in on this. He invites us to, to be in on what God is doing in this world, which means that God isn't going to give us the name of the girl that we should date in grade 9 but he does show us something bigger than that, that wherever we are, whoever we're with, that we can do God's will as we are a part of God's plan in this world to, to help people see Jesus, to love people, to, to be changed by Jesus and by what he's done for us and to be living for him. Now, now practically, right, if we understand what God is doing in this world, what does this mean for our lives? Practically, what does this mean? Well, Paul kind of continues there. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which is debauchery. And debauchery is just kind of a recklessness. Since you know God's will, since God is doing something in this world, don't be reckless with your time. Don't be reckless with your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, now what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I think Paul is contrasting the idea of getting drunk with wine here with what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So, so getting drunk with wine, you think about it, you drink it up, you soak it up. I know no one's thinking this when they are getting drunk, but you give yourself over to the authority of wine. That's kind of what happens in that moment. And I think that's the language that Paul, the imagery that Paul is getting to here of what it means for us to be filled with the Spirit. We drink it up. Now, it's not in a weird kind of way. If you're at church for the first time here this morning, I promise you the coffee has no spirits in it. It doesn't mean anything weird. It's just this imagery here. Paul kind of uses language like this elsewhere. He says, be in step with the Spirit, or put off the flesh and put on the Spirit. Or even as Hebrews, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. It's kind of this idea that as we think about things of God, as we dwell on what He's done for us at the cross, as we live under God's authority, we, we live our lives for God. We are being filled with the Spirit. 
And then we see there's five consequences of this, of spirit-filled people. From verse 19, we see that onwards. Spirit-filled people do these things. They speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. They sing. So the first thing is they speak to each other about the truth of God. The second is they sing to each other the truth of God. The third thing is that they make music from our heart to the Lord. See, singing is not just a horizontal thing. It's also a vertical thing. The fourth thing is they give thanks to God the Father for everything. And the fifth thing is that they submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what it looks like to be spirit-filled people. We speak the truth about God. We sing the truth about God. We give thanks to God for what he's done. And we submit to one another. That's what it means for us to be spirit-filled people. But think about this. If we are filled with the Spirit when we think about things of God then what's going to be true is that as we speak, as we sing, as we give thanks, as we submit to each other, then too we are filled with the Spirit. It's not just consequences of being filled with the Spirit. It also helps us to be filled with the Spirit, which means you can start to see the weightiness of church then, right? Because as we meet here today, again, this isn't just a physical action here. God is empowering us and working in us and through us to achieve His will in this world. As we gather here, as we sing to each other, and as we sing from our hearts to God, He is filling us with the Spirit. As we think about things of God, as we speak about God, as we read the Bible, and as we pray, as we give thanks to God, and then as we hang out with each other, and as we submit to each other, um, because of Christ, because of the reverence, the fear of Christ, as we do that, we then are filled with the Spirit. It goes both ways. Right? And, and you can kind of see why he's speaking on this. Right? The third reason, understand what God's will is. When we get God's will, we understand that he's working in this world to save people and change people, to make a people who live for him, then, then we won't live recklessly. Instead, we'll actually live intentionally, living for God and being filled with the Spirit. So, so you can kind of see how Paul addresses this question. Can I live my life however I want? There's kind of three things that he says there. The days are evil, your time is limited, and, and, and God's will is being done in the world. And so the question for us then is, the final question is, so, so what are we going to do with this? It's, it's funny, um, in this last week, uh, I got a kind of a beautiful illustration that kind of showed, it almost sounds like what Paul's saying here. Um, Alex, one of our young adults here, uh, married to Michaela, they have a little girl, a little girl who's nearly one called Mari, uh, and she's so cute. And uh, Alex was telling me she's just started crawling. Now you know it if you have kids when they start crawling. You know it's kind of this weird thing where it's really cute, but you're panicking because you have to baby-proof the house at the same time. And they've got this gate uh, that's kind of s- to stop Mari from going down the stairs. Now she does this thing. Alex was telling me where like if the gate's left open for whatever reason. Mari starts to kind of crawl over to the gate, like really sort of sheepishly. And then all of a sudden, like, obviously Alex is there, sees her doing it. And when Mari realizes Alex is looking, she just starts bolting towards the gate. Like she picks it up and gets it. Now, now obviously, you know, Alex goes over, picks up uh, Mari, shuts the gate, and then says to Mari, you know, you have to be careful here, right? Like you can't just go downstairs. That's dangerous for you. Right? There's a lot on the line here. You can't just crawl downstairs. And that's the job of a parent, right? I mean, kids, when they're one, they do whatever they want to do. They don't understand where danger lies. They just do whatever they want to do. They crawl to places they shouldn't be crawling. They put things in their mouth they shouldn't be you know, putting anywhere near anything. 
that they do things they don't understand what they're doing. They don't recognize danger. They don't recognize the weightiness of their decisions. But, and so it's our job as parents to, to tell our kids, no, be careful. There's a lot on the line here. There's a lot on the line here. There's a weightiness to what they do. And our hope is that one day our kids grasp that, that they do have to think about what they do. Now, now, as we read Paul's words here, I mean, that's how he started here in verse 15. Be very careful in how you live. Be careful here. Decisions are actually important. What you do, how you live your life, it, it actually matters. The, the days are evil. You can make ground for God or make ground for the enemy. And give yourself over to God or give yourself over to the enemy. Your time is limited. You can redeem the breaths that you have left or you can let them slide through. And God's will is being done in this world. God wants to fill you with his spirit so that you would be able to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Be very careful, he says, in how you live. And so we've got to think about, are we going to be careful? We're going to think about what God is doing, what God is doing in our lives. Are we going to hear God's word and his explanation of why we need to be careful? Or are we going to keep crawling towards the steps, knowing that danger is there? I mean, we've been warned that danger is there now, that the question is really there for us. And our prayer is that we wouldn't just feel the weight of our decisions here and now, but actually that we would be careful in how we live our lives tomorrow and for the rest of the week. Let's pray and ask for God's Spirit to help us in this. God, we celebrate all that you have done for us. We celebrate that your will is that you would save people and we praise you for the life-giving message that Jesus died for us on the cross to give us a hope of something greater. Lord, we pray that as we reflect on this and as we think about this, that you would help us think about how we live our lives, that we would be careful in how we live our lives, that we would recognize the weightiness of our decisions and what we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.